Hey everybody, it's Mike. Welcome or welcome back to the Revision Church Podcast. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the Revision app, which is actually the best way to get access to new content and share it with friends. You can get the app by texting Revision App to 77977. Thanks for listening today. My hope is that this message will be helpful for you and would inspire you to take the next step on your faith journey. Amen. You guys can take a seat. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors at Revision. I'm excited to be here today. How about you? All right. It is Revision's eighth birthday, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Sometimes it feels like the last eight years have flown by, and sometimes it feels like it's been my entire life. But it's just kind of fun to sit back in a moment like this and look at everything God has done. Eight years ago, we did everything wrong. <laughs> like, really, we did. According to all the experts, we should have gone to a different part of town and been in a nicer school building. We needed a team that was four or five times larger than the 21 adults we were able to gather. And they said we needed about $100,000 more in the bank than the very literally zero dollars we had. But God's, leer, or God's leading was, was clear in that season. And so we stepped out in faith, not that he would do anything specific, but just that if we would show up humbly and allow him to work through us with open hands, he would accomplish his purposes through this church. And we just believed that and showed up on day one We kept believing it on day three when there were 35 people, including me and the band, in this room. We believed it when COVID hit and we got to spend a summer outside in a park and we got shuttled between different schools. And I just want to say thank you for believing that and showing up and letting God work through you. Like through this church and this community, God has done incredible things. In the last eight years, we've seen over 300 people commit their lives and their futures to Jesus. Yeah. We've helped the Timothy Initiative plant 300 churches among the least reached peoples on the planet, helped them build a church plant training center. We've planted two churches in America, which will have over 100 people at them today, and so much more, including just building a community that I love being a part of. I try not to take that for granted, that not everyone gets the opportunity to start a church that they'd like to attend, and I, I did, and I love it. I'm just, I'm so profoundly grateful for, for all of you. I just, like, I don't know. Sorry, it's humbling. Eight out of ten church plants in America never see their 10th birthday. Nine out of ten never get a building. And for the, the 10% that do, it usually takes 13 years mobile before they find a space. And by the grace of God, he's continued to work through this community, and we're going to beat the average on that. You build the futures like 40% of the way done. We have over 40% of the funds in. We're, just, we're tracking along. And we're in this interesting hurry up and wait season, which is probably why we haven't given you more updates. The bank wants to make sure that our giving is tracking along with our pledges. And it is, but they're going to they're gonna measure that for a little bit while longer before they give us a loan. But I just like, thank you for this. Thank you for being here. Thank you for the ways that you show up and let God work in your lives. Thank you for all of the effort and the time and the passion you've all put in to making a difference in the city of Des Moines through this community. Thanks for being a part of it. Like if God gave me a blank sheet of paper and a pen eight years ago and asked me to dream up the kind of people I hoped would come to revision, I couldn't have imagined a community I love this much. So I love you. Thank you. 
We have some chocolates from Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory out in the lobby because chocolate feels like a good way to celebrate. They're handmade by the, by the Smith family in Valley Junction. Grab some of those before you go. And let's just, like, let's keep looking ahead. I really believe at the core of who I am that the best is yet to come. Yeah, thanks. Today, we are in week two of this series called Monday Matters, where we're taking a look at what we do 40 to 50 hours a week and why it matters to God and to the world around us. I know that's really hard to believe on Mondays sometimes. Like you wake up and you're just not feeling like you have anything ahead of you worth living for, at least if you're anything like me. Last Monday, after like a long weekend without a whole lot of sleep, I woke up and it was the day after I had preached about how work is a chance to live out God's purpose in you and make a difference. And I looked in the mirror, and I, just, I kind of felt like this, and I had to give myself an immediate pep talk, how to be like, whew, Mike, despite what you're looking at right now, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. This is the day that the Lord has made. Rejoice. Be glad in it. Get up and get going, man. And my guess is that some of you really relate to that sentiment. It's easier, though, if you love what you get to do. And I, I do. I'm really grateful for the fact that I get to do something I love. I remember a conversation I had back in the day while I was doing youth ministry with my youth worship leader at the time. I got him Grant. A lot of you know Grant. He helped us get Revision going eight years ago as our worship pastor. But we were sitting on a bus with 40 students making the trip from Minneapolis to McAllen, Texas. It's way down on the border to work with this church plant that had recently been started by a church in Reynosa, Mexico. And there was this incredible like spiritual energy on the bus. The students were just really fired up. And Grant was sitting ahead of me, he turned around and said, man, I love that we get to do this for our job. Isn't it so cool that this is work? And I said, yeah, it is. Like it's a blessing. Fast forward 20 minutes, all right? We were about to stop in Kansas City for dinner at a strip mall that had a whole bunch of different restaurants at it. And um, one kid on our team who had some special needs made his way to the bathroom. Now, the bus drivers had been very clear that on their bus it was a European bathroom. And I didn't know what that meant until they explained. It means if you're in there, European. If you're doing anything else, don't. Do not do it. Unless the world is ending and it's an absolute emergency don't, because the thing is, they had to fly out right after they got us to Texas, so they weren't going to clean the tank. They were just going to leave the bus baking in the South Texas heat in a hotel parking lot for eight days. But this one guy, the message just didn't click for him, and it's not his fault, and we didn't realize that until 10 minutes later when we stopped for dinner, and he came out, and the smell, I was just like... It was so powerful that the bus driver in the front held me back and the other leaders after we sent the students to go get dinner. And he said, your return trip is going to be awful after that heats up to like 140 plus degrees every single day for the next week. And so I looked at Grant and Grant looked at me and I said, you know, I'm a germaphobe. I, I, emotionally, I can't. It has to be you. It has to be you. <laughs> and he hung his head and he made his way to Subway and he got some bags 
and then he put them over his arm. He went to the back of the bus. He reached in and he just pulled out as much as he could, then pulled the bags over it and ran out of the bus screaming and found a storm drain and shoved it down there. I don't think you're supposed to do that, but like it was a visceral reaction. And as I looked at his face in that moment, I couldn't help but say, man, I love it that we get to do this for our job. And he said, I hate you. And I tell that story to remind us all, sometimes our jobs are life-giving. Sometimes they're crappy. (laughs) Like last week, we talked about how when we're frustrated with work, when, not if, it's easy to think that it's some sort of necessary evil that just has to be endured. Like it stinks for everybody, but we got to do it to put food on the table. And it's easy to picture it as just part of God's curse in Genesis 3, as a consequence of living in a sin-shattered universe and forget that it's also part of God's design in Genesis 1, that we're created by a creator who works, to do work in a way that brings glory to him and adds value to people. But here's the deal. Even though in Genesis 1 and 2, God reveals that we were made to be his co-creators, that we were made to, to live with a significance and be a part of what he's doing to shape the future of humanity. In Genesis 3, he really does say it's going to be difficult and discouraging because sin damaged his design. Specifically, as he looks at Adam and Eve and explains the consequences of their sin, God says, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So today, I want to talk about what we do when our jobs are crappy, like how we exist in a Genesis 3 world, and how we can find purpose in the pain, goodness in the grind, meaning in the mundane, and significance in the sweat. Because let's be real, there are things this week that we have to do that we don't want to do. There are a lot of activities at work or at school that suck more life out of us than they add to us. A lot of ordinary, unexciting responsibilities we'd rather avoid. And it's easy, if we're not careful, to completely miss the chance in the middle of those things to glorify God or bless the people we're crashing into. At least it's easy for me. I was reminded of that a couple weeks ago. I got to work, cracked open my computer, I was going to do some emails, and I got a phone call from Jenny. So I answered and said, hey, what's up? And she said, why are there two banana peels on the banister upstairs? I had to be honest. I said, I have no idea. I didn't put them there. And she said, I know, I did. At that point, I was a little confused but I haven't married long enough to know a trap when I'm walking into it. And it felt too late to avoid it though, so I just really leaned in. I said, sounds like you solved your problem there, Nancy Drew. I gotta get cracking. She said, wait up. I put them there 30 minutes ago while I was helping the twins get dressed on top of your laptop so that you'd see them and take them to the trash when you left for work. You literally had to pick up the banana peels off your computer and move them in order to leave today. And I was caught. I had to tell her the truth. I said, Jenny, because you're a woman, you're not even going to believe this. But I don't remember that at all. (laughs) 
I don't think you're lying. I just have no recollection whatsoever of this event. And you know, if you want me to do stuff, you just have to tell me I'm good at following directions. Or not good, I'm sufficient at direction following. And she said, how about this? The next time you see something on your computer, just decide I put it there on purpose and try to guess what I wanted you to do with it, (laughs) which is completely fair. But then because she's her, I'm sure she picked up the banana peels, took them outside, threw them away, and didn't think of it again. Because that's the kind of thing she does all day, every day. It was a convicting moment for me, though, because I thought, what if the tables were turned? How would I respond? What would my emotions be like if I had to do some stupid task somebody else should have done that I didn't want to do? And I knew the answer. I would be grumpy. Like when I have to do things I dislike and I can't immediately see the purpose in them, I struggle to work in a way that brings any glory to God. I struggle to live, act, or behave in a way that might bless anyone around me. And I'm guessing I'm not the only person in here this morning for whom that's difficult. I think most of us probably spend most of our lives feeling frustrated and ordinary. Like we are ordinary and unimportant. And for some of us, when we wake up tomorrow, the weight of our backpack on our shoulders is going to feel like the weight of the world. Our necktie will feel like a noose. Our our name badge is going to feel like the guilty verdict on not having done more with our lives. And we'll spend a chunk of the hours we dedicate to work feeling bored at best and miserable at worst. Even for those of us who love our jobs, there are going to be moments where we have to do things we simply don't feel like doing. And so today, I want to open our eyes to the extraordinary God has for us smack to have in the middle of our ordinary. By taking a look at some words from the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon. If you got a, a Bible or a Bible handy this morning, you can crack it open to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. It's almost smack dab in the middle. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on, along on the screen. And if you need a Bible, or your kids do, we got them in a bunch of different colors for all different age groups back in the next steps area. Please take one before you leave today. They're our gift to you. But Ecclesiastes 3, Solomon's kind of looking at the rhythms and the seasons of the world and noticing that sometimes we work and work and work and work and work and work, and it doesn't seem to make any difference at all. It's a real fun observation. If you're depressed and you crack open the Bible, skip Ecclesiastes. Just don't start there. Solomon is often more concerned with accuracy than encouragement. This is what he says in Ecclesiastes 3, starting in verse 9. What do workers gain from their toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. I think what he's trying to help us see is like, if you have ever felt like this woman, that's okay. So has every other person that's ever held a job. You're just like, ah, working, starving, it's tough. Because work is stressful and difficult sometimes. But then Solomon continues and he does almost a 180 degree change. He writes, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity on the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. There are some of us who doubt that. But what Solomon is trying to help us see is that if we look through the right lens, we can see the created, creative beauty in every single piece of our universe. 
that God really is working through our work to do incredible things. And so there might be a moment this week where you feel like you're putting together a pointless PowerPoint or sitting in a meaningless meeting or doing a trivial task. But God wants you to know he's working in that and through that. And if you can just zoom out of your own myopia, like there are, is a purpose and a plan that's bigger than the moment you don't want to be in right now. It's this really incredible gift of being able to see the world that way. And I think all of us can, even if you're like, I just, I struggle to believe it. I'm not even sure you're accurate. What Solomon says when he says he's put eternity in the human heart is that all of us actually know that, even if we don't know that we know it. Because there's something inside every human soul, especially in the difficult, frustrating moments, that thinks there's got to be something more and something better than this. There just has to be. And that something is there because there is more. It's accurate. It's this eternity set in our souls, crying out that something has to matter beyond what feels like it doesn't matter at all. And Solomon saying, yeah, it does. God is at work in your life and in your universe, and God is working through your work. And if you can begin to see that, if you can begin to open your eyes and recognize his presence in your pain, and the significance he's given you in the sweat and the meaning he's trying to infuse into the mundane that a few different things will happen. The first thing is we'll recognize there is worth in our work. Our work has value to us and to the world around us. Even if we aren't working at the job we'd choose if we could choose to do anything, and even when we aren't doing the tasks we'd pick to do in our current job, God is working and are working to bless the world and to give us purpose. Solomon says, I know there's nothing better than for people to be happy and do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their labor. This is the gift of God. What Solomon isn't saying is like, eat, drink, and be merry. Who cares? He's saying work is a gift that God gives us. And it's this incredible, meaningful, multifaceted one. For starters, it's a gift of purpose. I said last week that as God created the world, he didn't sit back and call it perfect or call it done. He called it good because it wasn't perfect or done. He created us as human beings to be co-creators, to put in effort that adds value and shapes the future of our world. And so work is a gift of purpose because you guys, anything you do that adds any value to anybody creates a better future. Anything you do that adds any value to anybody creates a better future, and that matters. Work's also a gift of provision for us and for our families. When we work, God provides what we need. He puts a roof over our head and food on our tables. It's, it's this like, incredible way the world has made. As we work, it provides for us, but it also provides for the people around us as our work blesses them and meets their needs. And their work blesses us and meets our needs in ways we see and ways we might not even recognize. It's this really cool opportunity though, if we can recognize that, to zoom out and realize that God is at work from an eternal perspective through every single thing we find in front of us to do. There's worth in our work. God undeniably wants us to realize that on, on a high level. 
But let me get granular with it for a minute. I think another thing we find when we open our eyes to God's presence and power in the middle of our Genesis 3 struggles with work feeling cursed is that there's a purpose in every project. Every task we have in front of us, even throwing out banana peels, matters if we'll do it to the best of our ability. And I'll admit, this one is maybe harder to like actually realize sometimes, but I promise, even for those of us who hate our jobs, who are going to wake up tomorrow morning and be angry that our alarm clock went off and just, you know, there are some of you, let's be real, who are going to go full Groundhog Day tomorrow. And if that's you, don't raise your hand, please. I know this is real, but don't raise your hand because I don't want to look out and see Jenny raising her hand. I like to convince myself she loves vacuuming 13 times a day. I like to eat crackers while walking around, you know. <laughs> like, but really, some of us are in this spot. We hate our job and we hate school. And all of us can zoom out a little and be like, okay, maybe God is, is doing something bigger on an eternal perspective than I see. But it really is difficult to zoom in and say, maybe God is doing something through this thing I don't want to be doing. Like, I don't know if you guys have realized this or not, but the meaning in every mundane part of human existence is not always immediately clear. But I want us to begin to see every bit of our work, even the bits we dislike and most want to avoid, as holy. Because that is how God sees them. That's how he created us as a God who works to work. That's what he created us as a God who gifted us the opportunity to make an impact on the world around us to do. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Like Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Martin Luther King Jr. was talking about this verse once and he said, the greatest inhibitor to us living that out to us actually doing every small thing set before us to the absolute best of our ability for the glory of God and the benefit of the people around us. The thing that keeps us from doing that is pride. We struggle to find pleasure in every task because we so easily come to believe that there are a lot of tasks which are beneath us. And we place the blame for our struggles on the tasks themselves. My boss gave me this stupid project. My teacher gave me this stupid homework assignment. I got to clean this stupid floor. But here's the painful truth, you guys. The issue is not nearly as much with the insignificance of the tasks as it is with the overinflated sense of our own significance we are holding on to. We think we're too important to condescend to do some of those things, but... Hear me out on this. If Jesus, who created the universe, didn't think he was too important to step into our story and take on the task of a criminal, to die on our behalf in order to pay the price for our sins, then maybe, just maybe, there's no task on this planet that's beneath us. I just wonder what would happen if we decided as a church community that we're just, we're going to go to the places no one else will go and we're going to do the things no one else will do because there's nothing to be done on this planet that's bigger than our courage or smaller than our dignity. I think the world would change if we live like that. I think that's who we're made to be. And 
Dr. King continued after identifying pride as the great inhibitor, and he said, if we could learn to see ourselves rightly, more importantly, if we could learn to see God rightly, it would allow us to be energized by whatever he's put in front of us. King said, even if it falls your lot to be a street sweeper, go on out and sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Sweep streets like Handel and Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep streets so well that all hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job When we realize what God's doing in and through us, we recognize there's worth in our work. There's purpose in every project. And last but not least, God is present in every place. Whether you love your job or you hate it, whether you're Grant on the bus ride or Grant standing with a subway bag around your arm at the dinner stop, whether work feels beautiful or crappy, you are never abandoned or alone. God is with you there working in and through your life to make a difference. He's present in every single space you occupy. In Acts 17, Paul's talking about the presence of God. He says, God is not far from any one of us. And then he quotes the Greek philosopher Epimenides and says, in him we live and move and have our being. Because if we'll open our eyes in the midst of the drudgery, I'm convinced we'll find God is just as real in the the plains and in the valleys of our lives as he is on the mountaintops. My prayer is you'll let God meet you in the mundane this week. Because I'm convinced if we decide to seek him in the ordinary and the frustrating, the common and the discouraging, what we'll find is that he's there And he's doing great things through us. What we'll find is the opportunity to change the world. Like one bit of effort, one job done well, one task we maybe didn't even want to do, done to the best of our ability, one inch, one life impacted at a time. That's how the world changes. It changes when ordinary people do ordinary things with extraordinary passion and extraordinary love because they serve an extraordinary God. That's my prayer for us at Revision, that we would just be an army of ordinary people making an extraordinary difference in the lives of every single soul we crash into because we have an extraordinary God who is at work in and through us. That's not an easy thing to do, though. It's not. This is a difficult task because there really are things we have to do this week that we hate. There's stuff out ahead on our calendars that we desperately want to avoid. And it's not always going to be easy to see God in it and to put our full energy toward it. And especially, it's difficult because we live in a world that tells us we should just quit then. Or we should do anything we don't feel like doing half-heartedly. Or we should complain bitterly about it. Or we should become really self-pitying and be like, how in the world would I have to do that? And most of us aren't even used to thinking about looking for God in those tasks and places. And so I just want to close this morning by giving you permission to fail. I don't always do that. I'm not shy about trying to afflict us in the places I think we're comfortable and we need to move if Jesus is going to accomplish his purposes through us. And I'm not giving permission to fail because I don't think this is important or I think we don't need to fight for it. We absolutely do. Seeing God at work through our work transforms 40 to 50 hours of our week and it completely changes the game for the impact we're able to make in the lives of the people around us. 
But this is just an area where I don't think we need to layer guilt on top of the misery we already are suffering. Like if tomorrow the first email you get says, can we talk? If the first thing you smell is a dirty diaper, if the first file that gets plopped on your desk is huge, if the first class you walk into has a pop quiz, if the first job you have to complete is vacuuming an entire floor because someone got crumbs across all of it and they only ate one muffin and it's impossible to imagine why it's that dirty. If the first task your boss assigns you feels menial and your immediate reaction isn't to take a deep breath and say, God, is it work through my life? And just worship him. If that's not your gut reaction, I don't want you to feel guilty or awful. This is a road. This is a journey we're all on together. And the closer we get to the destination, the more joy we'll find in every task and the more impact we'll make. But it's not an easy road to travel. It's like Iowa in the spring. There are potholes everywhere. And don't turn back the first time you hit one. Like the first time you don't see God in a task you don't want to do and you have a grumpy attitude about it, don't stop looking for him. I really believe if we'll open our eyes to see God's presence in every place we are and see God's provision in every project we're given, I really believe he will work in and through us to provide meaning and to create a better future for our world. Will you guys pray with me? God, thanks for the gift of purpose. Thanks for inviting us to be a part of what you're doing to set all things right and make all things new. Lord, all of us, every last one of us in this room has something to do this week that we would rather not do. Some of us are dreading Monday. I just pray that for all of us in those spaces, in the things that we don't want to do, in the moments that we dread, and the frustration that we feel, just living in a Genesis 3 sin-stained world, that you would encourage us, that you give us eyes to see who you are and eyes to see how you're working, that you'd remind us that there's value in the things that you've given us to do because you're working through us to bring glory to you and draw people to yourself and add value to the world to help the people around us flourish. Thank you for letting us be a part of that. In Jesus' name, amen.